Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. In an overcrowded world, it's easy to underestimate the worth of one person. And God purposely made you unique. You are the only you in the world. You are the only one with your appearance, your character traits, your personality, your voice, your style. Your sphere of influence is unique to only you. And you are the only you because God wants you to make a difference in this world. He doesn't want you to be a copy of me or anyone else. And history is full of individuals who have made a difference. Musicians such as Brahms, Beethoven, Mozart, inventors like Da Vinci or Tesla, explorers like Marco Polo or Vasco da Gama. One person can and does make a difference. If you don't believe me, just put a tone-deaf singer in the middle of a choir. Whose voice will you hear? That's right, the one who's singing in the wrong key. And I've directed choirs like that. And one person does make a difference. Well, there's a parable that Jesus taught that emphasizes the fact that one person can and does make a difference. This is found in Luke 10. Jesus was teaching, and a lawyer interrupts to ask a question. In verse 25, it says, A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the first thing Luke tells us is that the lawyer's motives were anything but pure. His goal was to set Jesus up with a trick question. Well, why? Well, many of the Jews, especially the lawyers, had made up their own rules about how to get to heaven. And this lawyer was a man who studied, explained, and taught the law of Moses to the people. So instead of answering his question, Jesus asked him a question. And in verse 26, he says, what's written in the law of Moses and how do you interpret it? In other words, you claim to be a teacher of the law. So what does the law of God say about this? And his answer is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer's answer shows that he knew the law. So how did Jesus respond? He says, that's right. You have answered correctly. Do that and you will live. In other words, if you have never harmed your neighbor, if you have never committed adultery, if you've never killed anyone, if you've never stolen anything, if you've never cursed or used the Lord's name in vain, if you truly love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you have never had a wrong or bad thought in all your life, and you have never done anything wrong against anyone else, then congratulations, you're perfect. But now the lawyer has a problem, doesn't he? He knows he's not perfect, because no one is. And lawyers are always looking for loopholes. That was true back then, as well as now. So what does he do? He tries to justify himself and sweep some stuff under the rug. And so he says to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? Now think about it. Why did the lawyer want such a specific answer from Jesus? 
simply because he knew he was guilty in obeying the whole law. He obeyed some of the laws, but not all of them. And as a lawyer, he knew he wasn't treating other people fairly. So he wanted to justify what he was doing and find some wiggle room. And when you read this parable, it's easy to see who your neighbors are. Your neighbors are people that God puts in your path. This also includes people that you would not necessarily have chosen to come in contact with. You see, the Jews saw people the same way that we see them sometimes. We see people who like us as our neighbors. We see the people we like being around as our neighbors. Our friends are our neighbors. In other words, the lawyer intimates that I should have the right to decide who deserves my love and help. And we are just as guilty of that sometimes. And Jesus wanted to show how wrong the lawyer's thinking was, so he chose to explain this truth through a parable. And this parable reveals the three possible attitudes of our hearts. So Jesus says, let me explain it to you this way. And so he says, a man was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And the area between those two cities, Jerusalem and Jericho, was well known. The path had many twists and turns. It was a, a mountainous terrain that had many caves, which meant you could hide very easily if you were a thief. And a lonely traveler was an easy target. And that is exactly what happened here. This man, who is a Jew, is attacked by thieves and left half dead. And the details are very specific. The robbers stole his clothes. Apparently, they could earn a lot of money by selling them. And this man can't call for help because there's no one around him. He is now dependent on someone coming down the same road who is willing to help him. And the attitude of the thieves was, what's yours is mine. Have you ever asked yourself, why do people steal from each other? Why do people have a mindset of, you have something that I don't, therefore I'm going to take it from you? Why is it that people think like that? Well, the Bible says we are all born with a sin nature. And one of the ways that sin nature expresses itself is being an ingrate. We are not thankful for what we have. We become ungrateful for what God has graciously given to us. You know, I remember when I was about 10, our house was robbed while we were at church. Now, they didn't steal anything but our black and white TV. Now, my parents weren't rich, so we didn't have much in the house to actually steal. The only thing that had a bit of value was the TV. But the TV had stopped working two days earlier. I mean, you turned it on, and there was nothing but static and wavy lines. It just wouldn't tune into anything. So the robbery was actually a blessing. The thief saved us a trip to the dump to throw the broken TV away. But that's the attitude of a thief. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. So here lies the man who's helpless and bleeding. He's naked because his clothes were stolen as well. And thankfully, a priest arrives, someone who should be able and willing to help. 
But in verse 31, we read, Now a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Um, say, say what now? How can that be? The law of Moses commanded people not to be indifferent when they saw someone who had a need. Leviticus 19 verse 34 says, You should treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So the priest, who was the one responsible for the spiritual welfare of the people, just ignored him. He sees the man, and then he purposely walks to the opposite side of the road and does nothing to help. Now, what's the priest thinking? Well, I take care of spiritual problems. This is a physical problem, so this is not my responsibility. But thankfully, a second man comes along. This time, it's a Levite. Well, who were the Levites? Well, they were helpers to the priests in the temple service. And this Levite expressly walks around the man with a big ark and crosses over to the other side of the road. And my question is this. How could two people in a row be so indifferent? From whom did he learn such an attitude? The answer? From his boss, the priest. And the priest and the Levite show us, by their actions, what the attitude of their heart was. And that is, what's mine is mine. And we could probably add, and it's going to remain mine too. Now, sometimes we see people begging on the street, asking for help, and we're uncertain if we actually want to give money to them. Because you just don't know if they're going to use the money for food or for drugs. But in this case, you could tell that this man desperately needed help. But both the priest and the Levite chose to be indifferent. Now, here's something you need to remember. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Love and hate are two very strong emotions, but they have two very different actions. But they're not opposites. Now, think about it. The opposite of action is no action. That's indifference. Indifference means you have no concern, no compassion, no time for anything or anyone for any reason. You see, indifference costs you nothing, but compassion does. Compassion moves you to action. And Jesus was trying to point out that we cannot intentionally close our eyes when we see someone who has a need. We should be ready and willing to extend mercy. And here's the hard truth that's tough to swallow. We often view opportunities to serve and help others as obligations. So we just avoid them. And honestly, it's shocking that the priest and the Levite, the people who are serving God, actually refuse to do what God asked them to do, which is to take care of people in need. And of course, there are all kinds of reasons for not helping people who are hurting. Maybe you don't know them personally. Maybe that person lives too far away. Maybe their status in life is different. Maybe they're a part of a different religion. 
Maybe you're just too busy or you have other obligations. In other words, we can find enough reasons to justify why we cannot or will not help. But Jesus says the attitude that the priest and the Levite had, which is what's mine is mine, just isn't acceptable. It doesn't fit who we are. It doesn't fit with what God has called us to do as his children. And if we have the attitude of what's mine is mine, and it's going to stay mine, that means that we have accepted God's grace for our own lives, but that we have also chosen not to share that same grace to others who need it desperately. But thankfully, along comes a third man. This was a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan was someone from the province of Samaria. The Babylonians took Israel into captivity, but some were allowed to stay behind and didn't have to go to Babylon. And those who stayed behind married Assyrians. So the Jews considered them half-Jews. And to the Jews, a half-Jew was worse than a non-Jew. And this Samaritan saw the man who had been beaten and robbed, and he did something about it. And of course, this Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. He was moved with deep compassion. And the attitude of the Samaritan was, what's mine is yours. What I have, I'm happy to share with you. The Samaritan wasn't driven by hatred or revenge or obligations or inconvenience, but rather by sympathy. What did he do? Well, he went to him, and he came to where he was. That was something the other two refused to do. He used the wine to disinfect the wound. He used oil for the pain. He put bandages on to stop the bleeding. These are all things that he had with him, and he was willing to share. And then he put the beaten man on his own animal and brought him to a place where he could find rest. He was simply a giving person. And again, this is a picture of Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. God was so moved with compassion that he was moved to action. He did something for us. He sent his son to die in our place. And then in verse number 35, it says, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and and whatever you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And don't miss the first few words of that verse. It says, the next day. In other words, he stayed there all night to care for the man. This speaks about Jesus' promise to never leave us nor forsake us. If you think this is just a story about a guy walking along the road who gets beaten and robbed and he's left lying in a ditch— then you've missed the essential point. And that is that all of us are the guy in the ditch. We're the guy that sin has beaten half to death, and it has left us alone to die. And it took Jesus to come and find us, and to pull us out of the ditch, and to save us when we didn't even deserve it. And that's what prompts us to forgive others. Because we know that we are just as capable of wounding others as they are of wounding us. One person can make a difference, and his name is Jesus. He calls us to make a difference in this world. So use your unique character and gifting 
to make a difference in God's kingdom. Let me wrap this up by asking, what is your attitude toward people who can never pay you back? Is it the attitude of the thieves? What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it? Or how about the attitude of the priest and the Levite? What's mine is mine, and it's going to stay mine. Or is it the attitude of the merciful Samaritan? What's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. That was the attitude of Jesus, and that should be our attitude as well. One last thought. In Matthew 4, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees the two brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and they're casting a net into the sea. And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop everything and follow him. He goes a little bit further, and he comes across two more brothers, James and John. But they weren't casting their nets. They were mending their nets. And that Greek word that Matthew uses for mending their nets is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses when he writes to the Galatians. And he says, when a brother is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You see, mending nets to bring people to Jesus and restoring fallen brothers, that's what it's all about. So get out there and mend a broken life today. Adopt and put into practice the attitude of the Samaritan. What's mine is yours, and I'll gladly share it. One person can make a difference. Thanks for listening. Recommend the podcast to a friend if it's been a blessing. Screenshot the episode, put it on Instagram or Facebook. I greatly appreciate all the positive feedback. We'll see you next time. Bless.